Hey, Honeymooners, you can find ad-free episodes, Moshe's DJ sets, merch discounts, and so much more on our Patreon. Check it out at patreon.com slash endlesshoneymoon or click the link in the description of this episode. Welcome to the Endless Honeymoon Podcast. I'm Natasha Legero. I'm Moshe Kasher. This is a very exciting day for me. Yeah. I'm ex- one of your heroes. Extremely excited to interview our next guest. I think she probably said yes as a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yes, it's so exciting that we have her on. I'm so nervous. What I don't want to do is like try to be one of those annoying people who's like trying to be funny, you know. Well, too late, honey, because that's your entire personality. <laughs> I think you'll be. I want her to talk. Well, here's the thing. We have Fran Leibowitz on today. I've listened to like, she's done like a handful of podcasts, although she herself doesn't listen to podcasts. She doesn't even have a cell phone. Um, She actually, we're calling her on a landline. So, um, but I really wanted to ask her a few questions that I wanted to know about her after kind of studying her so much. And if you're not familiar with Fran Leibowitz, please go on Netflix. Watch her in the Martin Scorsese directed documentary called Pretend It's a City. Many years ago, she had another, I think that was also a documentary. I don't remember if it was a series or a movie, but that was also directed by old Marty uh, called Public Speaking. That one's hilarious. Did I ever tell you about my Martin Scorsese um, time I performed in front of him? No. <laughs> I was at the comedy store and people, like somebody, the door guy ran to the back and was just like, Martin Scorsese's in the in the audience, everybody. I mean, it was just like the worst thing you should tell a comedian. Oh, my God. And I'm like in the back. All those desperate, sweaty comics. And I was in the back. I was like, I should, maybe I should do all like kind of bio biographical material, you know, like really compelling like life story stuff. And then I was like, this is so dumb. So anyway, I went out on stage and I got to say, I fucking crushed it. And I was like so happy. Cause I like, I mean, I murdered in front of him and, and the door guy ran back. He was like, he was laughing. He loved every second of it. So I took this walk the way the comedy store, the main room works. As you know, Natasha, as you come, there's a different ways to walk out of the room. One is to walk, to just exit out the building. So no one sees you. One is to go around the crowd and one is to walk directly through the crowd. And the directly through the crowd path was right by Martin Scorsese's table. I wish I had video of me walking. I obviously chose to walk by his table. And I wish I had video of me walking by that table because the slowness and like pretending not to notice but looking over at the table to see if he would say anything of my walk probably was like the most ridiculously performative thing you'd ever seen. I was like walking in slow motion, kind of trying to make eye contact without making eye contact. And guess what he said as I walked by? What? What would your guess be? Good job, kid. Nothing. Not one thing <laughs> did he say. He did not say a word. I walked right by, went to my car, drove back home. How exhausting to be someone that like men and women just walk by you like they want to fuck you all day long. <laughs> like everyone's performative. No one's. I mean, I'm sure Fran is herself around him, but they're old friends, you right, know? Right. But if you haven't watched Pretend It's a City, I loved it. It was like my my favorite thing to do when we were in the woods was to escape from my family at 6 p.m. and check out. <laughs> Well, you and know, go into the trailer that we were kind of living in by myself and watch this documentary. Yeah, I mean, this basically is uh, like her persona, and I was less familiar with her than you, and you got me to watch the documentary. Her persona is like she's kind of been the coolest person in New York City for 50 years. Well, she'll say whatever she thinks, and she definitely, I feel like she's like a national treasure. In the, I know everyone always says that, but in the sense like there's nobody like her. Right. She's like a consummate hater, but in like the best way. She's And she said something that really made me, in Pretend It's a City, she's like, judging people is my job. That is wild. And that is also what I think as a comedian, like, or sure. at least that used to be her job. Right. But um, she's also an author. She wrote Metropolitan Life. She wa- she wrote Social Studies. Um, you know, she she really is. It, now she kind of makes her money touring around doing speaking tours. I think that's what Oscar Wilde used to do, too. I mean, I, she's really just like this rare person that I'm okay. just I can't believe we get to talk right, to her. And right. also, I don't want to be late. If so I, can we if please? I, if I'm being honest, I'm, you're sounding a little sweaty right now. <laughs> a little thirsty. It's like a, it's a little much. 
Well, it's in the day right now because she's in New York, so I can't even. Well, I guess I could have like a little bit of wine or something to loosen up. Yeah, for real. Because I honestly, don't want to annoy her. I know. If you you, you sounded like a Taylor Swift fan right now, like <laughs> about to call OTS. <laughs> T.S. Elliot. Oh, I wonder what Fran thinks of Taylor Swift. <laughs> oh, we should ask. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Natasha's hero, uh, an, an Amer- American treasure, uh, and the star of Pretend It's a City. It is Fran Leibowitz. Hello, can you hear us? Hello. Hi. Hi, Fran. I'm really sorry. The last thing went over time. I'm very sorry. That's okay. I said she seems like a punctual person, so maybe she I'm just... I'm very punctual. <laughs> we also thought it was... Fi- he was. The other guy wasn't. <laughs> we also thought it was 50-50 that you wouldn't call and would go take a walk through the park or something instead, so we're just happy you're here. That would never happen. I'm very reliable. Oh, good, good, good. <laughs> Fran, I'm so nervous to talk to you. So if my husband interjects a lot, don't think he's mansplaining. He just uh, he's he's not as intimidated as I am. <laughs> well, we have a question for you. Yes. Would you would you rather be having lunch right now with Martin Scorsese and Cornell West or doing a podcast with two comedians <laughs> that you're probably not familiar with? <laughs> Is that a real question? Well, no. <laughs> nothing's really real for us. We were just saying how happy we were that, well, not happy about COVID, but it does make people like you a little more available. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I would imagine more than a little. I'm trying to imagine. I, Cornell, I know him. So I'm trying to imagine Cornell and Marty having lunch together. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, you know, we have kind of, are the people who listen to the podcast are very young, and I love the fact that you don't have a cell phone. I hate cell phones. My husband and I, it's our main source of fighting. And I wanted you to just kind of, we're calling you on a landline. Um, can you tell us a little bit your philosophy behind it or why you don't have one? It's not really a philosophy. It's just that when they invented them, I thought, why would you want one of these things? <laughs> and I haven't changed my mind. You know, I mean, basically, this is, not having a cell phone is, is something that angers everyone I know uh, in regard to me. Like, I can't reach you, you know, but uh, I, how can I reach you? You know, and I think you don't have to, re- I don't have to be available 24 hours a day. I'm not an emergency room doctor. <laughs> you, know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not providing an essential service to anyone. What if, you so- know? What if somebody needs a quip at like 11.30 p.m.? <laughs> well, then they'll have to call an emergency room doctor. <laughs> Wait, so Fran, what, do you have any advice? Like, I know you hate when people just in random people on the streets have their cell phones, you know, in front of their faces. But what do you do when you're out to lunch or you have someone over at your house and they're like, staring at their phone like what do you say to them i don't i would never allow that really how how do you put a stop to it it, put that away (laughs) (laughs) i mean if i'm having uh, first of all you're talking about an era that you know unfortunately not in at the moment uh but when i'm in a restaurant or at a dinner party or something with people and they take their phones down i point out to them that it's so immensely rude I like that. Immensely rude. I, mean, I see people doing it. I see people, as everyone does, all over the world, sitting across from each other at a restaurant table, both on their phone. I think, why bother? And if they were out to eat with somebody else, they would be on their phones texting the person that they were ignoring at the current <laughs> luncheon that they were in. So, I mean, it's just the way that people communicate with each other now, but um, not me. Well, my husband and I often get into a fight because we have a three-year-old and he wants to get her an iPad and I'm adamantly against getting her addicted like I am already. Yeah, I can. I, right now I'm seeing a future, friend, where Natasha has adopted the phrase immensely rude and it's the <laughs> primary thing that she says to me from this point on. She says, remember, friend, well, I, mean, I think I think three-year-olds are a different category because the, these are the people who are actually going to do something with this stuff because even people who are vastly younger than me, which is almost everyone, but even people in their 20s um, might remember a time before this stuff, you know, and certainly are, you know, surrounded by people who do. But people who are three years old, they are completely, since birth, connected to this thing, and so they're going to stop talking about it and just do something with it. Well, that's hopeful. Oh, yeah, you're, you're saying the negative effects will kind of fall away because they're not... They're not like junkies getting a, a getting a, a tolerance built up. They're actually going to be built into the mainframe themselves, basically. And they're also not going to be talking about it all the time. In other words, people talk about this all the time. They talk about the internet all the time. They talk about you know the effect of it, the 
bad effects or good effects. But, you know, that's because it's new. Right. You know, I mean, when they invented radio, no one could understand it. Now, I only know this because I'm not that old, but because <laughs> if you read essays and things from the era of when radio was invented, apparently the newspapers were full of people trying to explain to people how this worked. <laughs> people were so stunned that, like, they turned on this machine and sounds came, people's voices came out of it. And there's a really hilarious essay by Robert Benchley, because apparently the way it was described, the radio waves or whatever they're called, was like throwing a rock into a pond. And uh, he elaborates on this. It's very funny. So when inventions are new, people talk about the invention all the time. Well, wait. When they become really useful. I'm sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. When they become really useful, in other words, when people do really, you know, great things with them, is when they stop thinking about the invention and just use it. That's a very interesting point. And it makes me think, like, my husband just got a Tesla, and we were driving in it. And I know you're kind of into cars. Like, would you drive a self-driving car? Well, I wouldn't. Because uh, even though I know that that self-driving cars can't be worse drivers than humans, because <laughs> no one could be. You know, dogs probably are no worse drivers than humans. But uh, I wouldn't, because it would make me feel nervous. Uh, and also because... I don't really like new cars. I really like old cars. But um, I, I, I guess I wonder how anyone even thought of this. Because I, I've never heard anyone say, I wish my car would drive itself. <laughs> now, I have heard people say, including myself, I wish I had a driver. Fran, you would hate it so much. It's like driving inside of an iPhone, and then every like twenty-five seconds, you have to press a little button just to acknowledge that you're there and not asleep. <laughs> because it is tempting to take a nap. I have to tell you. <laughs> I, I well, lo- then, uh, to me, that's the kind of driving. I mean, you know, with a driver, you don't have to keep pressing something. Exactly. I love that. You just have to keep paying the driver. So, <laughs> you, know, you know, I would like to have a driver, as everyone in New York would like to have a driver. Um, but uh, the one thing I have been in these electric cars, and the one fantastic thing about them is how quiet they are. Right. Yeah, it it is a new it is a new era. I do love the idea that you're saying that the the original self driving car was not a Tesla. It was a man named Mister Tesla that you would pay. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so we're we're gonna take a few questions, but I just wanted to ask you because um, I know you talk about talent a lot and you know people having it. Like, what would I know? You're not, also don't have kids, but like, what 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 would you do if you if your kid was like a really bad singer. Yeah. How, how would you impart your feelings on talent to, to someone you loved that had none? <laughs> Even if your kid was a bad singer and wanted to be a singer? Yeah. 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 I was like, mommy, what do you think? Mommy Fran, what do you think of my voice? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, as long as it was just a child singing, you know, around the house, it doesn't really matter. You know, if it was someone older, seriously considering as a career, I would point out that although there are some very successful singers who are very bad singers, <laughs> you might not want to be that person. <laughs> right. You talked about in, in the documentary, Pretend It's a City, that it's, it's perfectly fine to be bad at something privately, but, but don't have the audacity to bring that badness into public. Well, I, I mean, it's funny about the singing because I am maybe one of the worst singers in the world. Now, <laughs> this does not stop me from enjoying Everyone loves to sing. It's like some human thing. That's why people sing in the car. That's why they sing in the shower because people love to sing. So loving to sing is forgivable because it's a human trait, apparently. But inflicting it on other people is not forgivable. That's just sadism, right? That's not talent. It's just being sadistic. <laughs> well, I mean, when I was in junior high school and we were practicing our graduation song, which is, by the way, the last school I graduated from, and there were like, I don't know, 200 kids in my class. The music teacher, not himself a genius, I would like to point out, um, kept saying something's wrong. Well, there's more than something wrong, you know. Uh, something is, someone's singing really off key or something like that. And he went through every single kid. And after I sang the thing he asked me to sing, he yelled, Leibowitz, mouth it. <laughs> oh, no. God, that's the worst story <laughs> oh, I've ever heard. Oh, my God. That seems like. So that, that's how bad a singer I am. Well, Natasha, you had the same thing. Didn't an art teacher pulled Natasha aside and said, maybe painting's not for you. That's true. But I went to public school, and they also told me to not well, be a writer. This public school. And I, when I was in school, the teacher didn't pull you aside. <laughs> <laughs> they humiliated you in front of the class. Oh, Fran, that sounded like a compassionate story to you, that he had the, the, the sweetness <laughs> to pull Natasha aside. <laughs> yes, um, it did. <laughs> okay, we have one more question before we go to our, our callers. 
um, you you know so many luminaries. You've met you've met so many towering figures: um, Charles Mingus, Tony Morrison, Andy Warhol. Who is the? You said that Tony, I know, was the wisest person you've ever met. Who's the coolest person you've ever met, and what is cool, and does it matter? You know, I don't really. I mean, I I I can't really think off the top of my head who's the coolest person I ever met. Um, and if I could, I wouldn't say. Because then the <laughs> other people who think they're immensely cool would be totally horrified. Um, you know, I, I don't know really what the uh, definition of it would be. Uh, but uh, I'll tell you what the definition of it is not. It is not simply being young. You know, <laughs> Thank I, you. I know this because several years ago, a friend of mine, a man my age, did something like exceptionally ridiculous. And I said, why would you do that? And he said, well... Because I want my son to think I'm cool. <laughs> I said, well, I have very bad news for you. Your son isn't cool. <laughs> he's, all, he's just 17. That's not enough. <laughs> I'm so glad you're saying this because I think my husband really idolizes youth more than I do. I don't. I don't know. I'm afraid of death, which is different. <laughs> which is which is Judaism in a, in a way. Fran, did I make a mistake converting to Judaism? <laughs> I didn't make her do it, by the way. I just suggested it. Um, I don't. Uh, let other people's religious beliefs are of no interest to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we think you're pretty cool, and we are very excited and thrilled that you agreed to do this, and we'd love to uh, open it up to some of our callers. Uh, so why don't we go ahead and do a call? Are you cool with that? Okay. All right. Okay, so we're going to call Jess from Vancouver and see what her problem is. Hello? Hi, Jess. It's Natasha Legero, Moshe Kasher, and we're on the line with the legendary Fran Leibowitz. This is so sick. Yes, we think, Fran, do you think it's sick as well? (laughs) Um, I think it's well. Jess, how can we help? What's wow. going on? What's going on? Tell us your okay. problem. Okay. So um, my partner is part of this larger social group uh, that he knows from college. Um, it's a big group of guys. They come together, binge drink, party, get blackout drunk. Um, they all work in the same industry. Um, I'm a grandma at heart. Like, I don't really party, so, like, I usually like stay home. Obviously during COVID, we haven't been seeing these guys. Um, The problem is, is that there's like two dudes in this group that I really, really don't like. Um, They're like really misogynistic. um, And like my partner gets really defensive about them and like gets really upset that I don't like them. And, you know, this has been such a great year for me because I haven't had to party or like see these dudes. And, um, so what's your question? Well, it's just always been this point of contention in our relationship. And we've, I asked him like, are we going to be able to like let this relationship with these guys kind of fizzle out since we haven't had to see them for the last year. And like, he's started to like understand where I'm coming from and why I'm so uncomfortable around them. And like, he just gets really defensive and like shuts down whenever I bring it up. Got he'll it. be like, you're basically he'll be like, Oh, so you're, you're saying that I can't be friends with them anymore. Like, it's just like, you want to know if it it's okay to, to be friends with misogynistic people. Or how do you get these people out of your life? Friend, what do you think? Have you ever dated someone or been friends with someone who by association has brought very annoying people into your life? And how do you deal with that? Well, first of all, can't you just not go? <laughs> so I do not go, but like, it sucks to like be at home and like my partner doesn't get home till like 5 a.m. and have that like, you know, like I kind of like he, he works like really long hours Monday to Friday and like I kind of want to be with him when he's not working. Can you give us an example of one of the misogynistic things that these pe- these guys do? Yeah, so like um, last summer before COVID, so like 2019, we all went away for like a long weekend and one of these 
dude says to this girl, oh, I uh, didn't recognize you last night when your hair was like that. And uh, the girlfriend of the, or sorry, the boyfriend of the girl was like, oh, yeah, she's not as hot when her hair's up. <laughs> okay, got it. All right, all right. <laughs> so uh, you, your, your boyfriend is friends with some awful people, and you need a, you need a strategy to get them out of your life. Um, I have some thoughts. I would love to know what, what you think, Fran. I live alone. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is, I can't tell you, this is foreign to me because I would never care about other people's friends. You know, I would say, you like these people, go see them by yourself. You know, right. you're talking about a kind of intimate relationship that is out of the question for me, where I would have to deal with other people's horrible friends. And, yeah. And what do you think, Fran, of just like also saying when a guy says something like that, you know, like, can, yeah. can you just say something like, you know, that is immensely rude. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what do you do when you're in public and, and you find someone just abhorrent to you? Well, I mean, I, I, I would not deliberately, you know, socialize with people like this. You know, if someone, you know, also, I, I, I truthfully, in a social situation, I've never heard anyone say anything like this because I've never belonged to a fraternity. <laughs> that's what it feels like it feels like they're like a fraternity and like it's so confusing because my partner is like so sensitive and like like he understands like where I'm coming from when I talk to him about like how like bad it makes me feel to be around these guys but like he's just not willing to like say that he's not going to spend time with them anymore because they all work in the same industry and it like makes him really stressed out when I bring it up because like he doesn't want to say like I won't be their friend anymore I think I get it I think the problem is that your boyfriend has started to evolve but has not become fully evolved yet you say he's sensitive and yet he doesn't notice the pigs that he hangs out with I think that your problem he likes to drink with them until five o'clock in the morning so yeah I think friends onto something you either have to accept him as he is and not go to the frat party or decide that you'd like actually somebody that's a little more mature in, in that kind of an intimate right. relationship right so I guess I just have to like, because like I, I do want to stay with him. Like we have a great relationship. It's just this like one kind of like point of contention that we can't hey, when to like talk about this. When Moshe wants to hang out with his Burning Man friends, I always have something I really have to do at home. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, so I guess just be okay with the fact that like there's this, like, I just don't have to be involved with these dudes. That's right. Right, Fran? That's what you're saying. Totally correct. All right. Jess, okay, cool. thank you and good luck to you. We, we wish you well in the, in the keg stands and binge drinking that your boyfriend <laughs> does in the future. <laughs> okay. Thanks so much, guys. Take Bye. care. Bye-bye. Bye. Fran, are you with us still? I'm still here. Okay. Do you have time to do one more? I do. Okay, great. We're going to now call Jennifer in Pittsburgh on standby as we connect. So glad you're not in a fraternity motion. I well, you know the thing I was thinking about is that nostalgia is an it, there's an immaturity to nostalgia, and yeah. that's what that guy still has. Yeah. Hello. Hi there, Jennifer. Hi, hi Moshe, hi Natasha. We also have a special guest. We're here with Fran Lebowitz. Oh, hello. <laughs> hello. <laughs> Jennifer, how can we help you? What's going on? Oh my gosh, I really hope you guys can help me. So, I run a family business with my wife and my brother okay and my parents are still around but they're very much in the background um and outside of work my brother and my wife get along fine but inside of work they could not get along any worse mm. uh they have really different personality types uh, my wife's kind of like a chelsea handler type like she's gonna tell you when she's mad and and why she's mad and my brother completely hides from any kind of confrontation. And the problem is that they don't work on this at all. And so eventually there's a big blow up and a catastrophe. So I'm trying to figure out how I can help uh, their relationship, any advice that you guys might have on that. How to facilitate conflict between two people you love that get along like oil and water when they work together. Uh, any thoughts on that, Fran? There's not any aspect of this 
that I've had any experience with at all. <laughs> okay, I have to tell you, I've never been in business. Um, I, if I was, I could never be a business with anyone I'm even traditionally related to. Um, I mean, I, 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 just the term family business is so fraught with tension. Um, <laughs> that, it, you know, it seems to me, I'm certain there's a solution, but I really think I'm very unlikely to be the one to come up with it. So you wouldn't do, a, like, let's say, a podcast with your wife where you take advice calls, for example? <laughs> um, that, you know, that seems, uh, I mean, you already know that that works for you. Um, you know, Barely. I, I, you know, uh, but for me, I just couldn't do this. I mean, even just the word family is a problem. <laughs> you don't even like to be involved in a family unit, much less a family business. That is correct. Or a business. But neither of these things. Am I very much a problem? And they are both really, really hard, honestly. I don't, I, I don't know how we do it. It is super difficult. I love it, but I hate it at the same time. So the, the question, I guess, is then how do you find, since they get along in the real world, but when it comes to work, how do you find strategies to mitigate the conflict between these two people you love? And I think like the way, I guess my instinct is to find a way to be the calm in the storm. And also to delegate, you know, find out what the guy is good at and what your wife is good at and try to have them focus more on those things. Another thing I was thinking is it sometimes helps to name the thing. Like it's clear that there's a pattern of conflict between these two people. So if you named the thing, like, you know, you're doing the thing again, whatever the name of it is. I don't know. What kind of business is it? Do you want to say? Um, yeah, it's heating, cooling and plumbing. Right. So you could say you're, you're stopping up the plumbing. Wait a you yeah. know a plumber? <laughs> I know a plumber. I know some good ones. <laughs> oh, you want to jump in now, do you, friend? <laughs> I, I've never talked to or met anyone who knows a plumber because in New York, no one knows a plumber. <laughs> there are no plumbers here. So you have access to plumbers. I think you'd be satisfied with that. <laughs> well, honey, I think well, you... Yes. One of the things that's, that's really funny is, you know, you always hear about family business and like different generations and my brother's the type of person he's 10 years younger than me and he'll just like disappear for three hours not tell anybody where he's going not answer the phone and so like she has legitimate reason to be super irritated and super frustrated but because he's my brother and I guess technically my business partner there's really not that much that I can do I feel like I can like give him a penalty you know what I mean? So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm just in a really bad spot. I think you're... you're... Well, you could point... Go ahead, friend, please. You could point out to her that she should at least be happy she's not his wife. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fine. Ex ex a brother-in-law disappearing for three hours at a time is nothing compared to a husband who does. <laughs> There you go. Love that's, it. That's a great point, actually. It, 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 it makes me think of what I was saying this whole time, which is your job, whether you like it or not, because you made the mistake of being in a family business with the two people that you love that don't get along, your job from now on, and you have to accept it, is to play referee. You just have to figure out a way to get in the middle and solve the problem so that you can get your business done. And I think it's by... Oh, yeah, Natasha. I have wanna... one more bit of advice. When Moshe and I worked on a show together, we said as soon as we leave the set, we don't talk about it. Right. So that could also be a good rule you have in the house, which is like, honey, when we're outside of the heating and cooling office, we don't talk about it. The moment we, we stop dealing with the immediate uh, um, fascinating world of heating, <laughs> cooling, and plumbing... <laughs> We change the subject once we step over the threshold. And I think also just, like I said, naming the thing. If you if you say this is your dynamic, you could give it a nickname. You could say you're stopping up the plumbing again. And then they would both know that they're <laughs> engaged in the thing. And then you're, you're yeah. golden. Uh, I love that. Okay, Jennifer, we have to go. But uh, we hope that we could help you a little bit. Unless anyone has right. any parting words. Yeah, Fran, any parting words? <laughs> um. Are you in New York with this plumbing business? <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, we're in Pittsburgh, so that's close enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, drive to New York. Friend needs a plumber. Okay, thank you, All right, Jennifer. <laughs> All right, thank you, guys. Thank you. Hey, Tosh. Yeah, Mosh. Don't I smell sweet? Yeah, you do. That's all thanks to Native Deodorant, a product I not only read ad copy for, I wear on my body. I love it. They have so many great like scents. They have like, weren't you wearing like lavender, vanilla? I wear a 
cucumber mint, and I also really, really love the coconut uh, vanilla. That smells good on you. Well, thank you very much. They've got something for everyone. If you're into a more natural scent, there's an unscented option, too. They've got all kinds of body products. Really, this company is amazing. I really stand by it. I really, truly wear it every day. There's no risk to try Native. It's free shipping on every order in the U.S., and Native offers 30-day returns and exchanges in the U.S. And they're plastic-free. They have a plastic-free option. If one of your New Year's resolution was like mine to cut down on your plastic consumption, Native now offers a line of plastic-free deodorants in their most popular scents. So stop using that nasty stuff from the drugstore and start using something natural that really, really works and smells great. Make the switch to Native today by going to nativedeo.com slash honeymoon or use promo code honeymoon at checkout and get 20% off your first order. That's nativedeo.com slash honeymoon or use promo code honeymoon at checkout for 20% off your first order and then you can smell like Moshe. Hey, Tosh. Yeah, Mosh. This is a strange time for business, mm. but yes. not a bad time to find someone to work for your company, thanks to ZipRecruiter. Finding great candidates to hire can be like trying to find a needle in a haystack. Sure, you can post your job to some job board, but then all you can do is hope that the right person comes along, which is why you should try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash honeymoon. ZipRecruiter does the work for you. When you post your job on ZipRecruiter, it gets sent out to over 100 top job sites with one click. Then ZipRecruiter's matching technology finds people with the right skills and experience for your job and actively invites them to apply. You get qualified candidates fast. Do you think I can find someone to just post my Instagram for me? Because I really don't want to be on there well listen you go to zip recruiter you put in the qualifications which is just don't be you and i think you could find somebody find that needle in the haystack it's so effective that four out of five employers who post on zip recruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day you could have your intern working for you today natasha and right now you can try zip recruiter for free at ziprecruiter.com slash honeymoon that's ziprecruiter.com slash H-O-N-E-Y-M-O-O-N. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash honeymoon. Fran, can I ask you one more question before we let you go? Sure. Okay, New York is underwater. Where do you live? Yeah, climate change changes everything. You have to move. Where are you going to go? What do you mean? You mean the entire city is underwater? Yeah, it's flooded. It's she the, could maybe live really high up somewhere, the, like on the upper upper. A penthouse part of... in the Empire State is the only thing you have available to you. <laughs> the whole city's that underwater. That doesn't sound bad. <laughs> doesn't sound bad. Even with it not being underwater. <laughs> yeah, where would you go if you had to leave New York? What other city? I d- you mean in the United States? No, it could be anywhere. Anywhere in the world. What's the second well, coolest city? Well, if I didn't live in, live in New York, I would live in Italy. Yes, mm. that is a good choice. Anywhere specifically? Anywhere in Italy. Yeah. Unlike the Italians who only like their own part of Italy, I like all parts of Italy. We love <laughs> Italy too. Fran, we'd like to invite you to vacation with us in Italy, but we know you won't accept. So we just want to say thank you for coming on the show. And everybody watch Pretend It's a City on Netflix and get into the mind of Fran Leibowitz. Yes, Fran, thank you so much. We've been listening to the Spotify. Um, there's actually on Spotify, which is on your phone, it's an app. You can actually listen to the whole soundtrack. So that's actually one cool thing about technology. So we've been listening to all the music from the whole series in our home, and it's really fun and cool. Well, thank you. Well, well, thank you again for doing it. We really loved talking to you. It was delightful, and I hope that it was uh, fun for you too. It was very delightful. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Bye, Fran. Fran Leibowitz, everyone. Bye-bye. Well, Tosh, yeah? I thought that went swimmingly. <sighs> yeah, it was good. It was great. I was just really nervous. You didn't seem nervous, I'll tell you that. But, you know, it's kind of cool to to, ha- to be able to have a, f- uh, a platform where you're able to speak to, like, like, it's funny to be a comedian because the biggest comedian in the world could come. I mean, in a weird way, she is a comedian. She's definitely a comedian. Also, she doesn't listen to podcasts, so we could say anything about her right now, and she'll never hear it. Okay, let's start talking shit. <laughs> One thing I did not like about her. <laughs> no, I thought I just, I. it's funny who makes you nervous. You know, like I could meet any celebrity and feel like zero. But if I met like a big UFC fighter, I would be stammering. Or a big rapper. What? Or oh, a gangster God. rapper. I'd be like, hello, sir. Like when I tried to interview Too Short, 
on the champs my old podcast i straight up i was so i was so much more nervous than you and so had so little less to say for like i don't know the first 15 minutes of the podcast because i was just like i've been listening to you since i was like eight years old like how can i even be in a position where i'm interviewing you well the problem with comedians too is we're kind of like when we get nervous, we just start talking. <laughs> like true. I even have, I have a, I have a memory of being in like second grade and raising my hand and standing up to talk and not knowing what I was going to say, just to just say something. Knowing you were going to say something. Just like, okay, well, hopefully I just remember the thought process process of like, okay, something's about to come out of my mouth. I, mouth, I hope it's okay. I used to, in fourth grade, I used to write roast jokes about the other students in my fourth grade classroom really and get up and everybody loved it they weren't mean you know but but everybody loved it and i would get up on in front of the chalkboard and read these like stories about the different kids in class but they were like fanciful made up stories and make everybody laugh and that led to have i ever told you this story no. this is a rough story so i used to do that and everybody would laugh and then i the fourth grade teacher pulled me aside and once again a a public school teacher pulling someone aside to tell them something but this was to tell me i had greatness he said he wanted me to write the school play and because of your roast jokes of the class yes he wanted me to write the play so he paired me i, was, I feel like this is a brag no wait 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 till the end it gets sad he paired me with a another student uh who was a a, a straight a student i was definitely not a straight a student but i had uh, i had the gift of gab and the two of us would, were sequestered for the rest of the semester in like a little office where we were writing the school play. It was a period, a Western called Westward Ho, uh, about the great mi- title about the migration from the East Coast for the pioneers from the East Coast to the West Coast. Wait, can California. I tell you something really quickly? Yeah. My, the first pilot I wrote when I got to L.A., Chip Pope and I wrote a show called Westward Ho, and I was like just a prostitute. A prostitute, yeah. <laughs> That's what this was about. That is such a weird coincidence because. It was about that was not- no, it wasn't. It wasn't. <laughs> it was a very. I would. I really want to get my hands on it. Mr. Fong from Chabot Sco- Elementary School in Oakland, California. I, I I need to find a way to find him because if he has a copy of this, I would just love to do a staged reading of it. But um, it was a it was a it was a period piece, and it was a musical as well. I remember the one musical. Um, the one song that we had was U2's I still haven't found what I'm looking for, and I was also cast. As the star of a musical, of the musical Westward oh, Ho, you don't I have wrote. that good of a voice. Okay, honey, <laughs> it was fourth grade. Anyway, well, I'm assuming you've only gotten better since fourth grade. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here's what happened. Um, I was a unruly, unlawful child, and just I had talent. That's why he asked me to do it. But he did not like me, Mr. Fong. I, he didn't personally care for me, mm-hmm. which I could understand. No teacher ever did. And I was unruly, and he kept telling me to stop. And then one day, <clears throat> after writing the whole play, I was standing outside of my place in line talking, and Mr. Fong screamed at me, and he removed my casting. I was removed as the lead pioneer, and I was made Indian number two. I love that in your head it's because you were talking, when really it's because he heard your voice. <laughs> You're like, yeah, I don't know what happened. I was just in line doing a little networking outside of my play. I'm the writer. And he just, you know, demoted me to Indian number two. Do you want to hear my lines? What Indian number two's lines were? It was only one line. Not if they're singing. It wasn't singing. Okay. It was just, hello, we are friends. We are here to help you. I didn't understand about um, indigenous uh, genocide and the the ways in which the power structure of the United States and eminent domain has been nothing but a blight upon native peoples. At the time, all I understood was, we are friends, we're here to help you. Here, take these berries. That was my whole role. Take these berries. But I wrote, I wrote it. So maybe we'll call this episode Take These Berries with Fran Leibowitz. So, Moshe... Yes, Natasha. Thank you for indulging me. You really helped me be calm. It wasn't an indulgence. I was I did, delighted. I did want to ask Fran for some mothering tips. Oh, you should have. You want to call her back? <laughs> <laughs> she seems like she'd be cool with that. <laughs> we might have her phone number. I think what she would probably say to you is, I have no interest in children and I have no uh, idea how one would raise one. Right. But she always says that in interviews that she was a fantastic daughter. So maybe her mom did something right. that she could share with us. Fuck. Oh, well, maybe next time. I want my kid to be like Fran Lebowitz. Do you? She uh, 
doesn't really like talk to her family. Yes, left. she does. She just does. Oh, really? I yeah. thought she left the moment she turned 18 and never looked back. Well, yeah, but that doesn't mean she doesn't talk to her family. Sure. Yeah. Right. You know, she doesn't choose to live in the same city as them. Well, Natasha, uh, you have met one of your heroes, and does she remain your hero? Of course. There you go. They say don't meet your heroes because they won't remain your hero, but in this case, it worked out. And guess, you know what? I also got to talk to one of my heroes today. Who? You. <laughs> and you know what I love to do with my heroes? What? E- even more than interview them. Have sex with them? Well, yeah, but you know what else <laughs> I like to do with them? What? Listen to secrets. Oh. Would you like to listen to a few secrets? Sure. Let's do it. Hey, this is a secret. Um, so I'm like kind of in an open relationship. At least like the last time my boyfriend and I had this conversation, we ended up in an open relationship. Um, he doesn't take advantage of it, but I have anyway. This dude that I like hooked up with over the summer, <clears throat> who might be married, I'm still not really sure. Um, we are driving to... Um, we're meeting up halfway because he lives far away from me and we're meeting up halfway and staying at an Airbnb and we're going to take acid and no one knows. Um, I, everyone's under the impression that I'm going on a road trip to visit my gal pal for a week and I will be going to visit her. But I, before that, I'm doing like a two day overnight with this guy that might be married and like, hopefully he's as cool as I remember. He's probably not as cool as you remember. But also, can I just say I have a little bit of a philosophy behind this? I don't know that you should be fucking in an open relationship, married people. I feel not in open relationships. Right. Like, I feel like that might be the first, like, before you, like, get on a flight and buy the drugs, like, and rent the hotel room. Like, I would really want to know because he could have a wife she could be vindictive there could be kids involved you could have kids I don't know what's happening here like I think it's there's something about I'm not in an open relationship I'm not have never been attracted to them but I do feel like there should be some openness and like why don't you ask him if he's married I think that's like very important well I just want to say first of all that this whatever this open relationship that this caller has it seems like the the perfect kind uh, where there's lots of secrets, uh, you're going on long trips, nobody knows, there's drugs involved, the other end is in a committed relationship. This feels like exactly what, like the perfect open relationship the textbook. It made me think, I'm being sarcastic, it made me think that it feels like, I would love our open relationship listeners to call in and tell me that I'm wrong here, but it does feel like often, not always, but often in an open relationship, there are two people who, who there are two roles there is the opener and the acceptor right there's the person that's like i think we should open this up and then there's a person that's like i think i'll say yes because it's like maybe i feel like the only way i could keep you around <laughs> it's like she's the opener and her husband she's like he doesn't take advantage of it it's like well he probably doesn't want to take advantage of it but i i think you're right she has you have the right opener you have the right to have a sexual tryst with someone according to the rules of your in- relationship but I think you're right, Natasha. You don't want to go into an open relationship and and throw a, throw a detonated bomb into somebody else's closed relationship. That feels that feels unclean. Yeah, I would just try to get a little more information from this person. And if you think he's married, that means he is, or yeah. at least in a committed relationship. So I don't know that this ends. It sounds great. fun. And the other thing is. It does sound fun. A weekend tryst with acid. I don't know, though, but that's another thing. Acid is a drug that I think you would want, unless you do it all the time and you're just like an old pro, but I would want a, a, a chaperone or someone who you'd I really a, trusted. You'd to want kinda, a, a guide, yes. not, not somebody who you're not even sure is morally okay for you to be with in the first place. I certainly wouldn't want to be at an extended stay America with a stranger <laughs> in some city that a I've married, never... A married stranger. A married stranger. like that. And then where are you going to go? Like in that... Also, hotel room also acid is not a sexy drug and acid doesn't is, my experience with it is you're not like it's not like you're like horny i i yeah this this has bad trip weekend written all over it but you know 
I, I would definitely try to get that information out of him. Well, you clearly don't want it. The truth is she doesn't want it. She just wants to have a tawdry. This is as close as she will be able to get to having an affair on her husband because unfortunately she's in an open relationship. So the excitement has been turned down a little bit. But this is just wrong enough. The acid plus the married makes it almost like she's having an affair. And that's what's exciting for her. Well, I hope she, I hope, you know, you don't get poisoned by his wife. <laughs> Let's hear another secret. Hi, Moshe and Natasha. I absolutely love your podcast. I've never called to read a secret or ask for advice. And I realize the secret probably makes me a little lame. Um, I'm a pretty square person. So I used to be a, a waitress at a big restaurant in New York. That was part of the larger building. So we did not have access to change the heat or the cooling and change the temperature at all. But every shift, someone, usually a little old lady, would ask me, to make it warmer because it was too cold. And I used to say, we can't do anything and it, you know, tell them the truth and they would just get frustrated and upset. And since I was busy and working for tips, I just started lying and saying, okay, yeah, we made it warmer. Do you feel better? And nine times out of 10, they would say, oh yes, it's much warmer in here. So thank you. And it was almost like this interesting psychological experiment where if you just tell people that it's warmer, maybe they'll actually feel warmer. I don't know. But it made my life a lot easier when I just started lying to my guests. And um, I try not to lie. I'm a pretty honest person. So this is my secret that I did. Okay, thanks. Love your podcast. Bye. I think this is a great um, segue into becoming a mother, becoming a wife. Oh, because you're going to have to constantly come up with lies yeah. for the greater good. Yeah. I agree. This is what you call a moral lie. This is a good lie. You're, you're actually, you were actually providing your customers a service because you had the truth you knew would hurt them. The lie you knew would literally make them warmer. It would provide to them what they wanted. So you were able to do a magic trick and make people warmer by simply lying. You brought positive energy into the world through your dishonesty. Feel no guilt. Even though it's a small secret. We think it's a good one. And the fact that your secret is that small and like that's something I would have done during my 25 years of waitressing and never have thought even twice about because I have so many worse things that I've done. So that's pretty great that this is as bad as it gets that you had to call a hotline. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they say there's a saying that I that I love, which is honesty when not coupled with compassion is brutality. And I think that this is a case of that. The, br the brutal truth was you couldn't turn the heat up. Wait, but, but what if you have to tell someone honestly something terrible? The point of that, of that quote, I think, is to not be so slave, slavish to the truth that you, that you decide you have to tell everybody everything all of the time because right. you are a person that doesn't tell lies. Sometimes you can hold your tongue or sometimes you can tell a white lie when it, there is no consequence to it. And the truth would create great consequence uh, for, no, for no positive reason. So anyway, I tell I, I, there's a lot of that going on in our relationship, just so you know, like a lot of things that I'm, I lie to you about constantly. And they're all for the greater good. So don't worry about it. I know that's not true because unlike me, you're not even okay with white lies. I'm not. But you seem okay with this one. I'm not comfortable. I'm not a great. I have been conditioned by years in 12-step meetings uh, uh, to be very nervous about dishonesty and lying. I, I generally do really, really try to avoid it. I'm, I'm probably like this caller. But I also understand that that is that honesty is the best policy it isn't the only one well if you want me to stop lying you have to stop asking me how your ponytail looks <laughs> <laughs> oh ouch let's take another call i mean let's take another secret hey Moshe. hey natasha i love the show and i have a secret um every time i masturbate i get a towel to lay on but I always choose my husband's towel to lay on instead of mine. And he has no idea. That's hot. That's the, that's the question, isn't it? Is it hot? Of course. Wait, no, no. Hear me out. Is oh, but if a man did that and he jizzed all over. If you, if you masturbated on my monogram towels, I would be Were you thinking about livid. whether or not you should say jizzed again? <laughs> yes. I could see it happening. Well, I was like, trying I to think like cum is even more gross sounding. But if you came on my new monogram towels, I would be so, I get mad when you like dry off with them. <laughs> you know, it's funny you mentioned the cum jizz. 
I tweeted something yesterday. Oh, because I got a, uh, a a blackmail email in my inbox yesterday. Oh my god! Say, from some guy with a with a password that was an accurate old password. Uh, it was one of my old passwords, and it said it took me two minutes to find your password. And I did a two way video of you watching porn and then <laughs> your face on the video. And I will release it to all of your contacts if you don't pay me six thousand eight hundred and forty two dollars in Bitcoin. It was this whole thing. And should I read the whole email? I, I no. don't think okay. you need to anyway, at this point. Okay. Anyway, um, and I made and well, first of all, I mean, thank God I'm a stand-up comedian. Oh, first of all, it's a, just a scam. I mean, it's bullshit. It's you sure, honey? Yeah, I. I don't want it. it to get a, all over town. You well, crossing your eyes while you <laughs> <laughs> come into the my, my, camera. Yeah, you don't want to see my uh, my chin fall down like an escalator. And hey, the, this is why I have a piece of tape over my. Over one of my computers. And I did always make fun of you for it, but now I'm kind of like, maybe tape is a good idea. But no, it's lucky that I'm a stand-up comedian because if I wasn't a stand-up comedian, I didn't care about if a video like that... So, I mean, I wouldn't be happy, but it's not like it would ruin my career. If it's like Moshe looks at pornography sometimes, I think everybody would be like, we know, he talked about it on stage for 20 years. <laughs> but, but, But... Basically, what the scam is, is that they look into, there's like password dumps, you know, there's big hacks of lots of different users, and they'll just be like, this email address has this password, and this was like a five-year-old password, then they just email you with the password to freak you out and demand money, and maybe one out of a hundred people sends you the money, and that's enough money to make to make your scam workable. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. I made a joke about it. I, I tweeted about it, and I said, uh, "Yes, don't and don't uh, antagonize, antagonize antagonize this person." There is no person. You I'm think not it's like a bot? It. Listen, how did he know your password? That's because the thing. There's something called password dumps where you, where they they hack into a bunch of different email addresses. They find the password, and then you can buy like. 50,000 passwords from 50,000 email addresses and just email them all, even though they've all changed their password. <sighs> anyway, it's neither here nor there. The point is, in the tweet, I tweeted, you know, this person just blackmailed me for porn. Little did they know that my porn selection is one of the things I'm proudest of in the entire world. And if all if I play this right, uh, you'll all be able to see a video of me busting to a man with a his in an ET costume with his penis glowing red the penis glowing red whatever was my was it my finest work no it was not that's neither here nor there the point is somebody in my comments was like i hate when men describe their orgasms as busting busting a nut imagery or something like that and then i started thinking what is the best way for a man to describe the ejaculatory process you don't like cum you don't like jizz you don't like bust a nut what's the best we should have asked Fran Lebowitz this question. I'm really glad you didn't. <laughs> I would have been so mad. Well, she would have hung up. You think? Yeah, I think so. I was about to make like a, during the plumbing, I was going to make a shit joke, like a plumbing shit joke. And I was like, I don't think she would like that. Either. I feel like scatological humor is like, and I used to be like this, but I've just kind of given in. Wait. I just realized right now, you know, Fran describes herself as a humorist, not a comedian. Mm -hmm. That's the difference between a humorist <laughs> and a comedian. <laughs> you don't like shit jokes. You don't like cum jokes. You're like, I'm funny, but not that kind of funny. <laughs> I just finally figured it out. But wait, seriously, Natasha, what, so funny. what is the best way for a man to describe his orgasm? Have an orgasm? That seems so clinical. I like bust because it's absurd. Yeah, bust. Bust the nut. Well... Natasha, you've made me bust so many nuts over the years. Oh, my God. It makes me realize one thing. What? I love you. I love you, too.